Hey, Sean. Hi. Don't you hate when we are going out on our adventures, looking for games, toys, whatever, and we are finding something that we're just like, this is super cool, but we don't know what it's worth. We don't know if it's worth even picking up or taking home, cleaning off. All the time. It's kind of the worst. Don't you wish we knew someone who was kind of like the resident expert on toys and collectibles? I I do know a guy. Do you think he'd be available after we played the intro? I don't know. Well, let's uh, let's go find out. You know, we're going to have one of those, one of our sassy listeners reply to us, be like, you guys didn't have a good rant this time. You guys didn't do your signature segue. And to them, I say, boo, because we've got <laughs> something even better. David, how are you? I'm great. I thought you were going to say I'm even better than the segue. We're never going to say that to anybody. No, but they know it. I'm great. It's uh, another day or another week is in the, the bag and we have a great episode for our listeners today we got a special guest here with us i'm gonna let you uh let you introduce him because i don't know who this guy is <laughs> that's okay you got you guys met a few moments ago and that's cool it's a friend of mine his name is eric moon or moon of leisure on instagram eric is a toy collector a writer a painter a drummer a dreamer a rock band enthusiast toy collector and an all-around good guy eric how are you I'm great. I think that was actually the best uh, introduction I've ever had. So thank you very much. Well, then I I won't have you on again because then I'll have to like one up it. <laughs> It'll be a yeah, lot of work. It's downhill from this point on. Well, you know, it's it just uh, turned over to Leo season and I am a Leo. So no, it's it's great. I love the introduction. That covers hey. pretty much everything that I am. I'm a Leo also. Oh, nice. When's your birthday? Uh, it Well, in August. I you know what? Yeah, I guess I guess personal information should not just be uh, spattered what's your, out. What's your SID number? What's your credit card number with the three CVV? Well, you know, that's how they do it with astrology. <laughs> well, uh, according to me, his birthday is every time we hang out. So it does happen. Um, so, Eric, the reason we brought you on is obviously David and I are uh, a enthusiasts of collecting both gaming and some old toys and collectibles but b we're also clueless as hell we go on all these adventures and some of our listeners are like hey aside from just board games and video games why don't you guys look at old toys and we're like because we know nothing about them and we just want to collect the same things over and over again star wars simpsons fungos that kind of stuff but more importantly to get you introduced to our our listeners aside from my introduction tell us a little bit about what you do um, where you're based and kind of go on from there. Uh, well, I'm based uh, in Kitchener. And so I uh, vend at toy shows kind of uh, within an hour's drive. Usually um, really depends on the, on the shows and when they're happening. Um, I, uh, you mentioned that I'm uh, also a rock band enthusiast. That is uh, one other major fandom of mine. We could devote a whole show, a show to, I'm sure. But um, yeah, I, I, I do a lot of side hustles and one of those is toy show vending. Um, the other one is entertainment host. So I'm working, uh, karaoke trivia, um, music bingo, those sorts of things, uh, during the week. And so, um, toy vending is really, uh, really fun side hustle because I get to also indulge, you know, my inner child. Uh, it, it really, it really has a lot outside of the financial value that it can bring. Um, it's, it's really fun to collect. Do you, do you find that like, because it indulges your inner child. Sometimes you just, you want to keep getting like high off your own supply and you, you forget that you have to sometimes sell these items. Ooh, I'll, uh, I'll tell you, uh, I'll tell you a story about a, uh, a particular toy that I recently decided I have it mint in box. I decided to open it by like cutting the tape, the 30 year old tape on this toy um, and opening the box. And Part of it was to to make sure that it was actually all in there and inspect the parts, but it was mint in box. And if you assemble it, it won't fit in the box anymore. So this toy was a uh, 
I still have it actually. It's from the Aliens uh, toy line uh, done by, I think it's Playmates. Uh, and so those uh, that Aliens uh, toy line um, has a lot of really cool figures. This was a jet that like let you go down and capture the alien and then like fly off with him. Didn't appear in the movie, but. <laughs> All the good stuff never does, right? Well, you know, that toy line especially is uh, is kind of interesting because they actually produced it for the Aliens 3 movie. Um, it was, uh, you know, it has all the guys from Aliens, the movie. It's got, you know, Drake and Apone and Hicks and Ripley and uh, Bishop and all them. But they produced it when Alien 3 came out because they knew nobody would really know the characters from Alien 3. So it was a, is a weird toy line that they, to my knowledge, have never really done something like that with a sequel. Uh, or the third of a movie series before. Oh, interesting. It's a, uh, it's funny too, because like you sent us a video from one of your, your toy shows. I just look at like all the toys and I get super excited about a, my childhood and B uh, I am. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, another kind of local legend of London, Mr. Jay Bartlett, but he comes on the show every now and then talks about uh, his retro quest line, which he did uh, a bunch of Nintendo or was it called Nintendo quest? Yeah. Retro Nintendo quest. quest yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it was uh, the quest to get all the NES games that were available in North America. But then he did another um, series called Action Figure Adventures. And he was telling us a little bit about how, um, depending on what stores you kind of hit up, they, they kind of know if you're a collector and the prices jump up or there's no budge or margin. And uh, he was trying to help me track down an Ecto-1 from like the early Ghostbuster toy line. And we did find one and David actually David and I actually found one in the wild at a really cool toy and game store in North York. But the guy wanted like two hundred and fifty dollars for it. And it was like definitely yellowed and all that that fun stuff. Was it complete or or missing accessories? That one. It, it was missing Slimer and the blaster, but it had. I want to say it had everybody also but Egon. So it was missing a few key components. Hmm. And Interesting. The one. I've collected a few Ghostbusters toys. I actually had an Ecto one. It was loose, but it had the the back uh, zipline thing. Um, I had one at uh, a couple of years ago. I got a Ghostbusters lot, and then I I think I've sold it. Unfortunately, though, it's a good toy. Yeah, that and um, the Ecto one and the Ghostbuster house was literally everything I played with all the time. My friend had the the toy, uh, the like role play toys, like the backpack and the and the gun and the EKG monitor thing, PKE meter. That's it. Yeah, the go the ghost trap on that really weird yellow tube. Yep, I had yeah, all that yeah, stuff. I, I had was all like, those. I think I was a Ghostbusters kid more than I was a Power Rangers kid. More than anything, really, I think it was all that, and I had like Batman and Spider Man, but. Well, speaking of kind of kids, and we all had our toys growing up, Eric, why don't you uh, give us a little bit of an insight on on how you started your journey in collecting toys, and what uh, was there any individual event or, or series of events that led you to think, hey, you know what, I'm going to go collect all these toys and then see what I can do with them. Well, um, I'll give you two answers to that. One is I got into toys. I was into, into toys since I was young. Um, I was one of the I, I was one of those people who was happier playing in my room alone with my action figures than I would be, you know, out socializing. Um, and I was lucky enough to be in, you know, like a, a very uh, what at the time I thought was middle class family, but, you know, two car garage middle-class family where I could afford to be, you know, bought a lot of toys. Uh, looking back on it now, kind of interesting looking at all these toys where I'm, I think, Oh, I had that one and I had that one. And I also had that one. Gosh, they sure bought me a lot of toys. Um, and so some of the toys that I collect now are ones that I wanted when I was a kid or one that I had when I was a kid. Um, but I, I, what really happened lately to get me into toy buying um, and vending at the shows post pandemic uh, was during the pandemic. I realized, you know, we were we were all shut up, shut up in our houses, and no one could, you know, go visit anyone else. And I realized I had all this, essentially all this crap in the basement that was just gathering dust, and you know, nobody sees it, and nobody, you know, only I kind of see it, you know, because it's like my little collection room. And so I wondered if I couldn't do something else with it. 
um, one being to make money, but two, to really be able to show off the collection to people. So that's why I got into to, uh, vending at the toy shows, because it's essentially I view it as uh, just this is my collection of everything and uh, it's all for sale for the for the right price. Um, and so the pricing is sort of sometimes dependent on, you know, how much I value the thing. And if someone values it as much as me in that dollar value, then that's great. They can they can buy it from me. And I find it a very nice way to collect because I don't feel like I'm tied emotionally to these things because they are just things. So I, I find it's a, almost a Marie Kondo kind of way of of collecting toys. You bring them into your lives and you enjoy them and then they go and they bring joy into someone else's life. And so that's that's kind of a rewarding part of it. So would you say like we all have those toys that we used to have as a kid, like Sean was just saying Ecto-1 or whatever it is. And then I grew up. I had all the Star Wars action figures and, you know, thinking back at them, like and with the com, the communicator chip thing and all that stuff. And they were so cool. And and, you know, I, I think back at when I got rid of those, you know, I was we were probably all around in like the mid 20s and stuff like that or where toys weren't cool to keep on to. Right. But then now that we're we're older, it's like, oh, man, you know what? I wish I still had those. Right. So. So you're in a different mindset now, though, with your collection, because like you made that conscious decision to say, hey, you know, I like these are my things. They're collecting dust. Let's see if someone else is uh, interested in, in paying what I value them as. When you're searching for toys to add to your collection, are you searching based off of like your nostalgia f- factor or is it more of a a business kind of uh, observation where you're like, you know what? I know that this toy was uh, very popular. I could fetch a pretty penny on it. The price is right. Or is it more of a, Hey, you know what? I had this as a kid. I want this as a kid. I'm just going to have it. And then if the, if the right buyer comes by, then, you know, I'm, I'm willing to like, let it go. How, how do you kind of manage that uh, differentiation between? I kind of do a little of both. Um, Typically, when I am trying to purchase something that has nostalgia value to me, uh, it's because I think that that holds nostalgia nostalgia value to uh, probably a lot of other people. Um, I'll I'll show you an example here. You probably recognize uh, this one that I'm showing you on the screen. This policeman who, when you push his back, does a, a ghosty thing. Oh yeah, that's awesome. So that's one of the Ghostbuster line and. Mm-hmm. So I typically, I don't buy anything that I don't think I can sell for the same price. Like that's kind of my cutoff of if I know I can um, maybe break even on it or make five bucks on it and it's something I really want, I'll go for it. But most of the time uh, I'm just kind of looking for, it's almost intuition, um, knowing what you think something will sell for. I, I When I find something, I always research the price. Um, I, I think that's fair. And I think any consumer like should be researching the price. If you see a toy that is like $70 at uh, at a toy sale, it's worth taking two seconds to check on eBay and see what could you get it for on eBay. And so that's kind of how I typically brace, uh, start my prices. So I'll look on eBay. Um, you know, on eBay, a lot of the time you're paying double the cost of the item for shipping because they want to make a minimum that sort mm-hmm. of thing. You know, we mm-hmm. see something that's $30 plus $70 shipping or whatever. So I generally base my prices on those and set them like a little bit lower. So would you, would you like a, a softball or a, a hardball? I've got two questions for you. Um, one to do with um, just collecting in general, and then the other to do with Lego, which would you prefer first? Uh, let's talk about Lego. All right. So as you as you've probably seen and you're very aware, Lego lots are becoming the thing of the 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 now for collecting. Right. People are buying these 50 to 100 dollar mystery bags of Lego pieces, which come with minifigs. And there's a bunch of people who are trying to break even or make their buck. Well, there was a guy on TikTok and I think it was uh, Instagram as well. But he he bought a lot for like two hundred dollars and sold the entire thing for like 12K. It was a very popular video for a little bit, but a lot of it was based on minifigs because somebody didn't know what they had. And it was all like the the early series stormtroopers that were available. Wow. I think he was making like $100 per minifig. Now, um, 
if you look at Star Wars collectors in general, every little Star Wars minifig jumps in value within six months of it being released unless it's mass produced. So if you have um, even if you have uh, Mando's. Oh, what is it? What is his new um, ship called? I'm drawing a blank. Yeah, me too. That sucks. And I looked at it the other day. Oh, the N1 Starfighter? Yeah, the N1 Starfighter. So if you look at the N1 Starfighter when it released six months ago to now, people are trying to sell that Mando with the Grogu for exponential amounts, right? Like you're looking at the minifigure being probably worth six, seven dollars, but people are like 50 bucks. I bought an advent calendar last year, which was Star Wars, <laughs> Star Wars um, holiday or whatever. And it had um, Darth Vader in a Hawaiian shirt. And that's selling for $45 on eBay right now. If you wow. if you have the flippers that go with it, it goes up to like 52 bucks or something. Plus your shipping, plus all that. So what is your take on if you see uh, a lot of Lego, Star Wars, Marvel, anything like that? Is there something that really is like, man, this could be worth my time if I if I try or what well, do you look for? Generally, lots, uh, generally speaking with toys, when you're buying in lots, you're always going to be able to sell for a profit. I, I do a lot of that myself with, with other toy lines. Sometimes... You'll just buy a bin and and I I buy a from auction sales. Uh, I look on Facebook Marketplace, all that kind of stuff. So sometimes you'll you'll find a lot that um, what I typically do is is if I can identify, you know, enough in that lot that I could make the cost back, I'll 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 snap it up. I think as far as Lego goes, um, it's a very interesting controlled economy that Lego has over its collectability. And I think that's you see that with some Lego sets, uh, some of the ones that you would think they have a more limited run of they've uh, they've produced for quite a while. But others like the Simpsons house, which I'm lucky enough to say I do have uh, the Lego Simpsons house. It's uh, it's worth, I think, a fortune right now because they didn't they didn't release many of them. Yeah, I never got my hands on one and I'm so disappointed. It's uh, it would have been the build of all builds for me anyways. It was it was pretty amazing. Did you just have like the Simpsons on in the background while you did it? Uh, I believe I made my partner uh, like marathon the Simpsons when we did it because uh, she's never seen she had never seen the Simpsons. So. Hey, that that's a lucky win. So would you stay away from Lego then or do you buy just if the price is right? No, I, I mostly stick to action figures, um, mostly because, um, you know, Lego is something that that I might get into. I tend to sort of limit because table space is limited. Uh, I, I kind of limit my my interests that I'm pursuing basically to probably five or six. So, for instance, at my table right now, I've got uh, a bunch of X-Files action figures and Titans. I've got um, the aliens line. I've got most of the first series of the, uh, the Marines and the aliens as well. Uh, I've got some Harry Potter stuff. Uh, Star Trek is a big one of mine as well. I really like collecting the, uh, the particularly the Star Trek playmate stuff because it was just, they made so many of them. They made so many figures from TNG that are just really quite cheap. And so I probably have, uh, at least a couple dozen of them at my booth at all times. Fair. Now, would you say that if there's a topical movie or TV show and it's it's pulling on the nostalgia factor, do you try and collect some of that stuff to move it quickly or? Uh, yeah, for sure. For sure. There's um, I, I recently started collecting Barbie stuff, as is the style of the time. And uh, I, I really enjoyed collecting that stuff, though, as well. Um, but it definitely, you see the prices jump up quite a bit when something like, like that comes on when, when Barbie mania is on everyone, the, the vintage toys that you remember from your childhood are just, just exponentially more expensive. Yeah. It's a, it's kind of a crazy world. The, uh, I actually had a question, um, sent to me from somebody who knew you like, cause we knew we were going to talk to you eventually. So they, they primed up this question for me but essentially the question revolves around um the expectation of girls having their barbies and then they're just eventually taken away they're not really collected but it's okay for boys or men to like continually keep their toys and their their question was kind of twofold being like a does that 
help or hurt the value of the Barbie because there's so many just kind of like sitting around. Like you go to Value Village and you see just tons that are colored or like nothing's really pristine or in the cardboard. And then the second is like, how do those gender stereotypes help or hurt toy selling? Wow, that's a hell of a question. Right? I thought that was a great question. So I was like, (laughs) I have to ask. Well, you know, I think um, for me, I grew up with uh, with two younger sisters, um, very close in age. And like, I had all my toys, they had all their toys. They had a whole bunch of Barbies. They had, I remember very specifically and vividly the, uh, Barbie McDonald's playset, which was a thing, uh, where Barbie was the, was the person behind the cat, the counter. Um, so I, <laughs> that's an extreme example of how, how that gender stereotype might, might help or hurt the brand. But I think Barbie's come a long way and it started in a pretty far along place, if that makes sense. Um, as far as the value of the toys, it is such a, uh, an old industry in, in a sense, because the do- dolls have been around for, for so many, so many years. Um, the Barbie collecting industry is, is a lot different than some of the other lines that I collect. Um, the prices are a lot more, uh, sort of established. There are price guides, that sort of thing. So it's, it's a little bit more regulated, uh, than what I usually engage in. Um, but I think that's a different method of collecting. So Barbie's more of the way of Funko than it is of the Simpsons or star Wars where it's like very fluctuating. Yeah. And, and very fluctuating in terms of, uh, someone might not know what they have. Um, I have a couple toys that I've managed to snag for quite a deal where I knew I could sell them for double or triple the price, um, simply because that was what I valued them at. And again, if someone else is willing to pay what I value them at, then, uh, they're welcome to buy it. I'm, I'm just going to touch in on a little bit of that other, that question there, right? Um, you know, I, I think a big part of toy collecting or just collecting things in general, whether it be toys, movies, video games, board games, stuff like that, you know, at a younger age, us as, you know, young men and boys, we are encouraged to to get those things, to collect those things, to have hobbies and whatnot. And girls at a young age, yeah, they'll have their dolls and stuff like that. But at a eventually, you know, girls are uh, traditionally kind of expected to grow up a little bit more, right? Like they have to be more mature than boys and whatnot. So eventually like they get out of that, that doll phase, you know, stop pretending to have a family and work towards having a family, right? Like, whereas with boys, it's, it's the same goes the boys and their toys, right? Like we're all in, uh, over the age of 30 now. And, you know, I have more Lego now than I did when I was younger, right? Because, um, you know, I'm an adult. I can spend the money the way I want. But, you know, the the contrast between when I'm out with my significant other and we're looking at stuff, you know, there is still that encouragement from from her for me to get things right. It's always like, hey, look at this. Like you like this stuff, like add it to your collection. Whereas I, I don't see there being that much of an emphasis um, towards, you know, f- women to collect and buy things that they had as a, as a kid. Right. But also when you look at the toy lines, like when we were growing up, a lot of stuff was marketed more towards boys in general. Right. So we were exposed to that way more often or more aggressively almost than, than the girls our age as well. My my partner is, uh, a, is an avid collector as well. And she, uh, is actually, (laughs) I would say she's actually more of a collector than I am. Um, but her forte is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. She is an intense Buffy the Vampire Slayer mm. collector and fan. And uh, and she it's interesting because at our table, because we're typically working the table together. It's, you know, a fun thing that we like to do together. And when we're working the table, she always spots the Buffy people. And they're usually women, you know, in their 30s uh, who are just like her, you know, obsessed with Buffy. Uh, and so it's fun watching, um, you know, fans recognize fans. And then, and then she goes, and here I have all this Buffy stuff for sale. Cause she sells some of it, but not most of it. She her most of her collection is not for sale. Uh, so that's why I say she's almost a bigger collector than I am because 
everything. I'm, I'm a little Ferengi when it comes to, you know, my toy collection. Everything is is for sale. So for her, she's got some really interesting pieces. Uh, and uh, and it's it's been fun to watch her grow her collection over. So I guess she started around pandemic. It's it's kind of when the the recollection boom started, right? And you mentioned that earlier. Even myself, like I, I had a pile of Funkos and then I moved and I was like, oh, I don't want to keep moving these things. So I sold a bunch of them off and just kept my favorites. And now like the collection's slowly growing again, but I'm trying desperately not to grow it. But if somebody gives you mm-hmm. one as a gift, you're just like, oh, yeah, I guess. Right. Yeah. I mean, like I'm the uh, I'm kind of cheap when it comes to buying things you know like i see the value and stuff like that and and i see that there's you know i i would really want something but then i'll look up prices online and i have yet to find anything where it's like oh my god this is too good to be true right like i have to buy this now there was there was one event where this did happen are we gonna and, are we gonna do this now? I like this. Okay. <laughs> well, I felt like it was a pretty good segue, but uh, Perfect. there was one event that happened, and this was uh, this was before I moved up to the north to the North Pole, pretty much as uh, my friends like to say. Um, on one of our grand adventures, Sean and I, uh, we would we would uh, visit a few of the same stores. Now, I cannot remember the store for the life of me, but it was like a little hole in the wall. It's called RetroQuest uh, in North York. There we are. RetroQuest in North York. And it was a, a small kind of little shop of sorts, right? But you went in there and they had stuff everywhere. They had video games. They had, they had toys. They had, you name it, they had it. And up on one of the shelves, they had, I don't know if you remember these, back when Star Wars Episode One came out, the toy line just completely exploded. Um. Like they would realize make, their errors in yeah. regards to not merchandising the first few films. Yeah. And uh, so they had, there was these uh, piggy banks, one of Darth Maul, one of Qui-Gon Jinn, and one of Obi-Wan Kenobi. And when you put a coin in them, uh, they would activate and they would move. They would recite lines from the movies and uh, you could connect them together either in pairs in 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 mi- mixed pairs so they could connect qui-gon and obi-wan together and they would do different voices and stuff like that you could connect darth maul to either of them separately and they'd, they'd fight or you get all three of them you connect them all together and then they do this big huge scene from the movie and stuff like that i had these when i was younger they were uh like uh, my first email address this is how much of a star wars fan i am my first email address was anakin skywalker zero zero at hotmail.com you guys can email me all you want it doesn't exist anymore nice (laughs) but boy did you pick the wrong hero (laughs) (laughs) right um i remember browsing you know what was coming uh, you know i i remember browsing like the star wars website getting all the information for when that movie came out and i went and saw the movie with my mom uh at the theater just the two of us it was it was amazing so anyway so i would buy all of the star wars toys i had these piggy banks because they were sold from walmart and i had them forever and then you know, like I said earlier, you know, like we get to the ages where we're like, you know what, this stuff is not cool. It's just taking a space or it's like, I don't want to move it. So I got rid of it. Fast forward to many years later, Sean and I are on one of our adventures and I find Darth Maul sitting in the box in the shop. And uh, the excitement that overcame me, you know, Sean can testify to this. I was like, oh my God, I have to see that. And the guy was like, yeah, absolutely. Right. So he brings it down. It was in complete in box. And then he says, oh, but the lightsaber doesn't work on it. And I was like, oh, okay, because Darth Maul's lightsaber, one of them would shoot out the other side. It was the coolest thing ever. But then he mentioned that he had the other two. And he, uh, he they, they were big and bulky. They took up a ton of space. And he just wanted to get rid of them while he was, what was he selling Darth Maul for? It was like 40 bucks. He, he wanted like four, or 50 for Darth Maul and then 30 for each of the other ones. And I hummed and hawed about it. And I was like looking at them all. We put batteries in to make sure that they they moved in general. But again, the lightsaber wasn't working in for Darth Maul. And I was like, you know what? I can't justify spending that much on it. And then he dropped the price. I paid what, like 20 bucks for Darth Maul and then 10 bucks for the rest of the two, the other two or something. Yeah, like I, that. Think, I think it was 40 bucks for the lot. Yeah. 
right? Because the guy just, just clearly wanted them out of his store. They were taking up shelf space. And our argument was, we don't have a lot of trunk space right now. Like, it's it's kind of tough. Yeah. That was a great deal you got those for. <laughs> just wait till the punchline. So, um, <laughs> wait, wait, before we continue, what do you think they were worth at the time of purchase? Um, I mean, he priced the Darth Maul at 50 and the others at 30, even though the Darth Maul was one that wasn't working. Mm. But the Darth Maul is harder to find. Like harder we've find. in our adventures yeah. have found three Qui-Gon Jinns. Um, I would probably I wouldn't buy them for that price, but I would price them at probably. F- yeah, 50, 30, 30. It sounds it sounds like a an average market price, I would say. But that's that's wild guess by me. I don't know Star Wars mm. very well. So um, we we bought them. That was probably the, the best deal that we got and i searched up online and what they were going for online and they were going for you know again like ebay prices and stuff like that double some sellers had them on triple for some reason like thinking that they would sell right but i was like okay sweet so i took them home and cleaned them up a little bit and i took the darth maul apart and fixed it all it was was a little rubber band that was not connected to the uh the gear i had to put that back on there and then it worked perfectly so I took it to uh, I took it to a, a a local kind of video game store that deals with toys and collectibles as well, and brought them there for to see what they would give me. I got this is probably the best flip I've ever done in my life. Uh, collectively for the three of them, it's like two eighty five. Wow! For all, for all three of them. Uh, <laughs> that's an incredible profit margin. Luckily for David, the first eBay hit on Darth Maul was a hundred bucks, and the shop owner was like, "I can make that," and he bought it for him. I think you took credit, not cash, right? So you got like you got the credit bump too. Yeah, so I got like an additional like twenty five percent or something like that uh, in store credit because at the time, uh, Sean and I were saving up for uh, the Xbox Series X and. So I was like, okay, well, we'll take the store credit. But yeah, I got almost $300 for all three of them. And I That's paid like 40 bucks for them. Well, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of other dealers, you know, you see the same people at the, t- at the toy shows because everyone just signs up for the same one. So you get to know some of the people and sometimes, well, every time vendors will typically like go and sort of browse each other's tables after they're done setting up, seeing if there's anything they can like sort of cherry pick. But there's a, there's a general understanding of, you know, like everyone here uh, can kind of trade. People are always up to trade, and and so I've traded, you know, a hundred dollar product for another hundred thing that I thought I could sell for a hundred dollars as well. So it's it's interesting seeing the 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 different methods when you're. I don't know. It's it's really fun doing the commerce bit. Yeah, it's it's a rush, but it's also like crazy. Like you could buy something and you could sit on it for a long time. Yeah, some of the some of the things that I've been sitting on those aliens, for instance, for for quite a while, but I like having them. Um, so I'm not too broken up. In fact, I cry a little when each one goes. But uh, but I, I mean, other things, I have some beanie babies here in the background. I don't know if you can see. Um, I have some beanie babies. They uh, they are part of our our booth, uh, but I don't usually have table space for them because they don't actually sell for very much. They're not really there's a few rares that are worth a lot of money but in general beanie babies was you know one of those fads it, it everyone thought that everyone's going to want them in 20 years time and they're going to be worth millions and uh it turns out uh these ones back here i think are worth about five dollars each yeah i remember my mom looking up so my grandma used to buy them for us and my mom at the time like we just got internet type of thing this is how old beanie babies are for some of our listeners who don't understand they looked up the value of this this one called Hush Puppy, which was one that was given to me from my grandmother. And my mom and dad were like, maybe you want to keep the tag on this one because they were starting to teach me the value of like keeping stuffed animals or keeping some toys, which like we were kind of hockey card collectors and stuff. And Hush Puppy at the time was like a $6 toy, but the Beanie Baby was worth like $60. So onto a shelf, it went to collect dust. Like, oh, maybe it'll hit. And it it's worth did. like nothing now. 
but at the time it was worth what 600 times its value <laughs> like well, it's, like, it's so crazy like there was books published on like the the current value and the perceived value so i think that that did nothing to help the the collectors craze right and who knows there, there could have been some complete conspiracy behind the whole thing right just to get people to buy it like it seemed like everything was just too convenient like these these toys came out and then you know people are saying like these are going to be worth so much you know 10 15 20 years down the line and then and then collectors books had come out with like you know stock market uh assumptions of like prices and whatnot so they killed it yeah yeah it so um but so we've talked a lot about or you've mentioned a lot about being at uh toy selling you know areas or whatever what are they called uh Uh, expos or shows yeah what is like one thing that a lot of people probably don't understand is the process uh, or what is involved to actually to get there. Right? And so can you give us some insight on how you actually have to go about as a vendor to or if there's anything special or particular that needs to be done in order for you to get a table and set up at a, at a show? Well, typically, um, uh, you're on the emailing lists of, of most of the people who set up the shows. Uh, and there are a few very well known uh, in the industry people who go around to the different towns and you know, make it sound like kind of a traveling show, but it is, in a sense, uh, Woodstock, London, Kitchener, Ancaster, Hamilton. Uh, and so we, so they put on different kinds of shows for different kinds of collectibles. There's a, a vintage antiques show there's a die cast cars show and so i go to the toys and collectibles ones because that's the most generic of the shows um so once you purchase a table from them uh then you just have to show up on the day uh what i do is i actually have a storage unit where i keep all of my collections so this the stuff that i have here is just recent acquisitions uh to my collection my my collection is all in boxes so except for about once a month or once every other month, which is when I go to the toy shows. So um, it's a bit sad in that sense where my toys are, you know, behind bars for the most of the month. But the upside is that when I get there, I bring it all. I set it all up. Other people really get to enjoy it. So, um, yeah, it's it, you got to get up early and you got to, uh, you know, very really hustle to set up your table. Um and uh, storage is obviously an issue if you're if you're doing this. Uh, I I have a good amount of storage, but my car is is basically full to the brim. My SUV is full to the brim when I show up. Uh, and sometimes you have to make decisions on well, I can't bring everything. What do I think is going to sell at this show? So you kind of use your intuition a little bit in order to sort of sniff out. Well, I think I'm going to bring some Barbie this time because Barbie is really popular right now. Or you know, I just got this collection completed. Uh, I'm going to bring it all because I think I can flip it this time. Um, and then afterwards, you know, setting up, going home with your your cash in hand is pretty satisfying. But uh, it's a really fun social activity as well. I, I typically, you know, tell people all about the toys that I have and that sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, so the, you, the experience. So you mentioned, you know, buying a table. And we all know that there's like fees to for you guys to be there. Have you ever had or are the the fees for you guys to be there? Um, are they ever high enough that it is almost not worth being at that show? Or have you ever been in a situation where you're like, you know what, like I have to sell so much amount to even be to to justify my time being here? And does that affect how you uh, price some of your items at the at those shows? Uh, generally I don't change my prices, but I do decide based on the success of, of a show or not, whether or not I'm going to return. Um, some shows I definitely have looked at, but decided against because like you said, well, I'd have to sell so many hundreds of dollars worth of product just to break even. And, uh, and I have had shows uh, at least, I think I've had one show where I basically broke even the rest of them. I've all turned a profit. Although sometimes you know, the profit margins, they're not high, but I am also in this for the fun of it. So, you know, there are times where it's kind of a wash and, and you didn't really make anything, but um, at the same time you have a, you have a good time. So the, when there's multi-day festivals, those are usually really pricey. And those ones are the ones where, you know, it's, it's really risky 
to to go in not knowing if you're going to make your your table price back because you're essentially handing over x amount of dollars worth of your product to the organizer you know in terms of profit so fair so let, let's go a little bit deeper into the hunt right so on a few of our episodes, David and I have talked about our hunting for board games. A lot of the time we'll go to like a brand new board game store, but there are opportunities for us to always check out used games or consignment games. And we end up at some of these stores where we see either used toys in like piles or you end up at like a thrift store where you might not win the lottery, but sometimes you might find something really cool on a shelf. Like we found uh it definitely wasn't a real toy, but it was an R2D2 lightsaber that also had like a yak back built into it. It's a weird combination of everything, but like it recorded whatever you said when you swung the lightsaber. But it was R2D2 like um I guess sleeved. Yeah. So what's the hunt look like for you? Do you like is it like oh Saturday morning I'm going to flea markets or I'm going to this place to try and find stuff? Well, um, I do some physical shopping. My partner does a lot more thrifting. She she actively thrifts, you know, with a capital T. And she will be on the lookout for some things that that uh, that I have told her to look out for. Um, she has a pretty keen eye herself. So she usually scores the thrift finds, which uh, we've we found some pretty good things in thrift stores. Um, the main uh, place that I find sometimes I'm I'm buying off of eBay. To be honest, sometimes you can turn a profit, especially if you're buying lots again. Um, but I go to a lot of auction sites. So there's a lot of estate auctions and and auction houses that you can bid on items, again, usually in bulk. Uh, and usually you, because you have to you know drive out to the auction house and pick it up and everything, uh, you don't necessarily get uh, as much mainstream uh, toy collecting audience as you would elsewhere. So that's a really good place where you can find some really, I found a lot of really old toys through that. Um, I, I don't really know how the auction houses get them. I guess people just, you know, they have collections in their house and then so they pass away and someone clears out their house, that sort of thing. So yeah, that's, that's one source where I really like hunting uh, because there's, there's these auctions of here's 10,000 items in this auction. And there's, you know, here's 500 pieces of, cars i'm not a car guy i don't know i, I was going to name a piece of a car but you know anyway here's a 500 tire. here's 500 <laughs> tires exactly that's a good one i know that one uh and and you go through and then eventually you come to like old you know porcelain figurines you see those at the at the uh, antique markets and things uh and and so eventually you come to like ooh toys there's and you never know what you're gonna find and so i found some really really good stuff uh that way See, I'd be like, all of these tires are just the front left. I need the three other ones. <laughs> you can never rotate these. Um, have you ever had like an oh shit moment while you've been at like an antique place or something where you're like, this person has no idea what this is worth and I'm about to score big. Sean, it's not an oh shit moment. It's a oh, snap! Oh, snap! moment. Oh man, once an episode, <laughs> I have to hit that button. Well, um, I, I hope he never listens to this, but yes, I had an oh shit moment um, a, a while back. Um, I'm gonna, I have them here actually. So there was a, uh, t- short lived TV show in the nineties called captain power and the soldiers of the future. Do you, either of you, does that ring a bell for either of you? you I know, kind it, of remember it. it if I looked at a picture, vaguely, I vaguely, yeah, I vaguely, it, it, <laughs> I never had any of the toys, toys. Uh, but I watched the show religiously. I think it was on YTV. What was and it called again? Captain, captain power. power. <laughs> And the soldiers of the future, not Captain Planet and not Brave Star. Oh yes, I remember this. It had yeah. like seat crappy CGI. And now the interesting thing about this toy line, I'm going to grab a couple of these guys. So the toys uh, had some pl- a lot of play sets. A lot of them were like tanks or jets or or things like that. And what you could do with them is they all had a laser and they used the duck hunt technology so that you could shoot at the screen when the bad guys were on, because the bad guys all had this like kind of flashy hologram center and you could shoot the toys at the screen and you would score points on this, on the 
the device based on how many times you would hit them. You could also take hits. So there's a score built into it. And so a bunch of these toys had this really cool feature that was like taking advantage of whatever the, the, that flashy strobe technology yeah, is, yeah. light meter or whatever. Uh, and, uh, and, and then you can interact with the toys. So this one that I'm holding up here, you can see is captain power himself. And he's got a little like charging station. This one you could shoot at and it would light up and, uh, and cause him damage. That's, so it's almost like an early toys to life kind of thing, you know, like it really, it really is and the, a TV show of some sort. And the show was only like one season long, maybe two seasons. It did not do particularly well, but it, it gained syndication on YTV. Uh, so it was on all the time and I, I watched a lot of it. So I was at a toy show, uh, last year and I came across someone who had a bunch of these toys. Uh, this is the, uh, the bad guy, Lord Dread, which is an original name. If I've ever heard one, he's got a hot pink, uh, he's got a hot pink cape on cloth cape on a, on a GI Joe like toy. Um, they're, they're kind of, I think they're kind of the same, uh, same height and, uh, flexibility as a GI Joe. They're very similar. And so he had these for what I thought was just the most insanely low price ever. Um, and and I, I almost didn't buy them because I almost wanted to be like, like, you should be pricing these like three times what you got them here for. So because I think I spent like $15 on four figures and, and this. That seems exorbitantly low. And I haven't brought them to a toy show because I also don't put toys that I buy at a show. I don't put them on my booth at that show. I only put offer them for sale at other shows. So if I buy something from a vendor, I'm not going to put it on my table. I might go elsewhere across the you know province and sell it there, but that's called respect. Yeah. We, we actually heard through a video game vendor that what they would do is they would show up to like the St. Jacob's market very early, buy out a video game vendor, all the good stuff, leave and then sell it at their own booth like an hour later. And that's uh, dirty pool. Yeah, it was uh, it's funny because like we met the owner of that shop and we just had like really bad mojo while we were in there. So we're like, yeah, we're going to go shop elsewhere. But thanks. Finger snaps and high fives. Um, What would you say one of the biggest misconceptions in toy collecting is I've always heard and I think Jay said this as well to us at one point that like toys don't have to be on the card to retain value. No, and I don't like buying toys on card i like to buy loose to be honest if i have a choice for for people who don't know what that means can you uh, explain um on card i mean on card is in box or you know untouched unopened uh and then loose figures uh span the span the spectrum from you know loose no accessories to loose complete which is pretty valuable um yeah okay continue so <laughs> <laughs> where was i now i've lost track uh, uh retaining value or uh, misconception about the value of on the card versus off the card yeah so uh, it really i think it depends on your own personal priorities and tastes um uh, there is always 100 percent of the time there's always going to be more value in something that's in box um some toys uh i find loose toys are easier to move uh, on inbox co toys are typically, you know, you're looking for a collector, which means they're looking possibly for a deal. And so the loose toys, though, it's it's very easy to to, you know, drop a lesser price on them. If I have toys for five or ten dollars, it's much easier sell than, you know, something that's forty dollars mint on card. Um, I'm not all against opening toys that I don't know if this is going to get me, you know, uh, murdered, but I don't. I don't believe it's a bad thing to open toys out of their boxes. I think it's okay. I think if you really want to, and you will really cherish that experience, I think that you should do it. It's uh, that's why I buy loose because I want to be able to f touch the toy. I want the tactile experience of holding it and, you know, moving it around and seeing what it does. So I, I really find that while I don't think the, the sort of dichotomy between mint and box and loose on card uh, is ever really going to change, but I, I definitely have changed my relationship to it in that I always, I saved the boxes from things that I opened when I was 15 because I was selling on eBay at that time, um, crazily enough. And, and so, yeah, I, 
I prefer to buy loose. I, I think loose is fun. I think it, you should open up the toy if you want to play with the toy. Toys that, are meant to be played with. Yeah, that's super they fair. Are. I I know in my limited experience in flipping some stuff, the things that I found most important to be like in card are like video game peripherals like Skylanders or Amiibos and Funkos. Like we were at a shop not that long ago and like boxes were crushed and they were still asking for full price. And we're like, dude, like I get it. It's a vinyl toy, but like 15 bucks for better condition of a box. I don't know. Yeah. Like the, the, the interesting thing is too, like when you, when you talk about the gaming collectors, the markup on, Nintendo 64 or Nintendo or Super Nintendo games. If you have the box exponentially grows the game. We were looking at a few games the other day and like a regular price game for 40 bucks was selling for 140 because they had the box and the manual, which is wild to us. Right. Mm -hmm. So with, with all that being said, I, I had some questions about your collection in general. Like I know you said you like to sell almost everything, but is there something in your collection where you're just like, no, that's mine. This is mine forever. Well, um, you know, I at different points in my collecting career, I would have given you different answers, but I have sold some of those ones that I was like, I'm never going to sell. Uh, I had uh, for a while in my 20s because I was, you know, financially uh, reckless and flush with a career. Uh, I, I I bought a lot of collectibles um, outside of action figures. So I got a bunch of the Nika um, collectibles like the gravity gun from half-life 2 the uh, then these are the full-size replicas the gravity gun from half-life 2 the portal gun one of the portal guns from portal 2 i had the the hook shot from bioshock infinite uh and and i i had all those and i've sold them since for very high prices um i would say the gravity gun was the one that i i was the saddest to see go because it was one of the most unique and rare pieces in my collection uh, right now, I don't know. I, I've again, I've, I've sold a lot of those Simpsons figures uh, that were that were dear to me. A lot of the, those play sets. I, I think the the Gravity Gun would have to be my favorite, and it, it it was in perfect working condition. I'd had it its whole life. It had it in the box. It was in a closet for so long, so it was just perfect condition. Yeah, I think uh, the the coolest toy I still have from when I was younger is a working Pokedex with the like original 150 loaded into it. That's cool. I, I just saw your eyes like light up uh, after we're done recording. I'll show you it because I do have it and it's a, it's a lot of fun to have. And I like have some old stuffed animals and that kind of stuff, but I would never dream of selling that Pokedex unless like the right offer came around. Cause it's like, there was a time where there was only 150 Pokemon, not 151. There was a time where there was only 150 guys. And I we all knew them. Yeah. I don't yeah. think I can go over 350 if I tried. I, you know, there's uh, I used to know the number of total Pokemon. It used to be 752. And then a couple of years ago, it increased. Uh, I'm not actually a huge Pokemon fan, but I, I have dipped my toes into the Pokemon waters from time to time. It's scary out there. It's uh, it's definitely a different vibe. I know I have an amiibo that I took out. And I use for a bunch of games. And one of my friends was like, why would you take an Amiibo out of the thing? I was like, you're supposed to use them. You're yeah, definitely I, supposed to use these things. I've definitely, uh, I, I think I bought one of those. I never got into the Toys to Life uh, fad, but I bought them as like collectible cool figures uh, and uh, and eventually sold some of them at my tables. I wanted to mention also the, uh, the Toys to Life thing because you were mentioning Lego earlier. One collection I do have that I don't put out uh, because... Uh, I don't think I want to sell it and I would only want to sell it complete. Uh, I have the entire Lego dimensions uh, line of you have like every single piece. I have both of of us knew exactly what you were talking about. The moment you started every thing is that Sean and I, this was not even, you know, two weeks ago or whatever. uh, Sean was telling me how he would love to get uh, the Lego dimension stuff. We picked up the, the, Lego Dimensions like starter kit a while ago. You got a pretty good deal for that too, didn't you? Yeah, I got the starter kit plus the game. The box was mangled and I got it for like 50 bucks. That's good. The starter kit's harder to find. The uh, some, some of the uh, specific DLC was uh, peg warmers. 
They they really like you can find Gimli the dwarf everywhere because they made so many of them and he didn't sell. But some of them, like I, I even have uh, Supergirl was a uh, some kind of um, maybe NYCC exclusive, something like that. Um, but the toy, the, the line itself didn't do very well, but I love the game and we played through it so much. I have every single we're talking about probably 60 different different figures. So you've got Homer and the uh, I think it's Homer, the TV and something else. Uh, yeah, there's there's Bart and I think the car. Yeah, I picked that up at like, uh, oh, that that liquidator and Wellesley. I found one for five bucks and like the box was mangled. But, but that's I a good one it. to find. We, yeah. we actually had a, a massive uh, spreadsheet uh, when we were trying to to come finish that collection, my partner and I, because it's so it's so massive and there's so many characters and so many interactions. I, I really love that line. Yeah, my like portal's the, broken, but like, well, like the Lego pieces, I lost some pieces, but the the toys to life that I have collected is a Star Wars uh, or a Disney Infinity uh, volume, or I guess version three, which is a Star Wars one. Um. I have like some amiibos and stuff like that, but they're they're all out of box. I think I have one that my my brother sent me, and it's it uh, the, the top flap of the the card is bent because of when we moved or whatever. But like everything else is because we put it on display in our house. But I have all of the the Disney Infinity figures and uh, for for Star Wars, and even some of like the special edition ones where like the lightsabers actually like light up. Oh, like that's oh, the, the LED Darth. ones when they're yeah, connected. So yeah. I have a Luke or sorry, uh, Anakin Skywalker and a Darth Vader where you put it on the base and the lightsabers actually light up, which is pretty cool. But the one thing I find with like the toys to life stuff is like there's a whole bunch of those that came out. There's Disney Infinity. There's was Skylanders. There's Legos Dimensions. Uh, the only one that's really still going is Amiibo, but that's kind of taken off in a different direction. That's taken off into more of a collector's market rather than uh, a, a toys to life kind of thing, because the way that those interact with the games, they just unlock stuff in the games. Whereas Skylanders, Lego dimensions, uh, Disney infinity, those were a, another form of DLC, right? Or even what was the one that uh, came out that Ubisoft made with the ships? Uh, Starlink. Uh, Starlink, right? Where you, the, it was very similar, but you had to buy the toys and then change the ship. And they connected to the top of your controller, which yeah. was super awkward. So in regards to that kind of stuff, did you do you find that there's even remotely a market for that kind of stuff? You know, I think you kind of you kind of nailed it, like a lot of those toys to life because it was very fad based. And I think because uh, I, I, I think it was badly marketed as a whole, the, the concept. I think it was difficult for um, parents to understand what the toy did and therefore they didn't want to buy it because it looked too complicated. That's my gut feeling. But uh, I, I will say that I loved the concept of having that DLC um, to, to unlock extra things uh, in the game with Lego dimensions. Cause it was really having, I mean, it's, it's kind of a cheat having every character at your disposal because there's certain, for those of you who haven't played Lego dimensions, you basically have to uh, use different characters in the game to achieve different tasks, like blow through, things up or, or certain, you know, collect certain things or whatever. So having all those characters and all that DLC, it was really fun as a, as a hobby to collect them all when they were all being released. Um, but, but I think the, I think the fad as a whole kind of prevented it from really taking off for collectors. Yeah. The, uh, the interesting thing too, is like Skylanders was the first one to do it, right? Like they had the Skylanders drums where it was like, you can mix a match and like, it was all built around Spyro's universe. Right. And then they had the like the thing with Disney Infinity is like you can still find them to this day. Uh, Mr. Incredible and Sully just in every random assorted toy bin ever. And like at the dollar store now, you can still find Dory. Lots of stuff. The Lego Dimensions, the thing to me was and like Lego still doing it just in a different way, because if you buy um, Lego Star Wars, the Skywalker Saga or the new 2K Lego Drive game. I can't remember the name of it. Every box of Lego that's out right now has a code inside it to allow you to upload more play, like more characters or special red bricks. They call them to the games. Right. And the Lego movie video game was the first game to kind of introduce that kind of mechanic. Cause you had 
I think it was like 56 playable characters or something crazy like that, or even more. And then if you bought like Benny's spaceship, you got something special that you could add to the game. And that's where Lego's still cornering the market because they're like, if you buy Lego, you can just upload whatever you bought to the game. That's pretty sweet. Well, it's like such the, a great idea. The difference though, is that it's just uh, an unlock code. So if people are smart, they just Google them, <laughs> but it's it's a similar concept, right? Like it gets them out of that market where they have to constantly create new content for a specific game, right? Like another developer has created the game and and now Lego, the 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 brick manufacturer, can easily use that game that some other developer has created to additionally market their their products. Now, what are your thoughts? And I'm very curious as as someone who buys and collects game or uh, toys and sells them uh lego is notorious for doing this and they just released uh like their mini their 100 disney 100 anniversary minifigure set so the oversized mickey and stuff yeah well not no not even that like it's the little minifigures in the packets right in the bags where they tell you like you collect all 36 of them but like, what are your thoughts on those kinds of things as from a collector standpoint? Like, is it is it more of a just a, a way to get people to buy more product than they need? Or is it uh, is it like an, a viable option for someone who who is looking to collect that kind of stuff? Well, I usually uh, OK, disclaimer, I love, uh, you know, what what you call blind boxes or blind bags. Uh, I love the thrill of, of gambling. I consider that, you know, an additional um, benefit to buying one of those toys where you don't know what you're going to get, um, that sort of thing. Um, I don't now. I, I wanted to actually ask you about Funko Pops and your feelings on those, because I do collect some Titans and some uh, some other kind of blind box products. Um, but I, I avoid the ones that you don't know what's in them. Um, Titans, you know, are very similar to, to Funko pops. Um, but what I do at my table is, uh, I usually keep them in box on unopened. And then if the person buying it doesn't like the one that they get, I have one open and they can exchange that one. And that one becomes the new open one. So you kind of have like a, you know, I think there is an extent of like, they're just getting us to buy more plastic because at the end of the day, you might get doubles, you know, you might get characters you don't really care about, but uh, I think you're paying for the, for the, for the gamble too. True. I mean, with Funko, it's pretty straightforward. Like you're gambling on two things. One, it holding its value. Like every single Funko you're buying for baseline $15, you might get lucky and go to the dollar store and find one you've been really looking for, for like four or five. Or you could be like David and I, who actually might have just hit a small lottery win. Um, If you're familiar with the Mandalorian at all, um, Gina Carano um, is no longer part of Star Wars because of some things that she said. And we'll just leave it at that because we're really not talking TV or movies right now. Um, But David and I had an opportunity to buy those Funko, like the, I think it's number 356. We bought it for 10 bucks at Toys R Us. David bought two because he was like, man, she's going to be discontinued. This is going to be great. I bought three and one of them was for Sean. So they are now worth 60 bucks. So yep, you you just got to bank on a discontinued Star Wars character. And I literally looked it up while we were recording and I didn't think we were going to touch on it. But there's $60 Funkos now. And like that sometimes happens. But there's some Funkos that only retain value if you have the whole set, right? Like I'm three... I mean, technically I'm five away from a whole Futurama set, but that's because I don't have like the alternate universe characters for some things, or I don't have the very special edition San Diego comic-con robot devil. That's holding a violin instead of a pitchfork, but I I still have one. I think that amount of, of, um, of collectability, I guess it's a, it really makes people love Funkos if they're collecting it in that way. Uh, I honestly, I find it so um exhausting looking at you know a big wall of funko pops and being like how would you even get started with this i don't know anything about funko pops well like even when we're we're browsing stores and stuff like that and we go through and there's always a big wall of funkos i usually just kind of like my eyes just kind of glaze over because it's there it's too overwhelming and unless you're looking for a specific one now sean for a while there was looking for uh tj was it or jd or whatever from uh, jd from Scrubs, and, now Scrubs, I have right? both. and 
well, you know, when I would be going uh, shopping with uh, my significant other, we'd always go into like different stores and collectible stores. And, and I would always ask, uh, I'd always look for that one, but now I go in there because to these places and, and, you know, I'm not looking for anything in particular. Like there's a few that I wouldn't mind. Like, you know, like I picked up Jerry Seinfeld and I wouldn't mind like Elaine and all that stuff and, uh, and Kramer, but just to have, cause I'm a big Seinfeld fan, but um, you know, you go into these stores and they have this huge wall of Funkos and it's like, unless you're looking for something in particular, you know, you could be missing out on some, some really good, good finds. But for the most part, it's like, they're not like fast movers in general either. Right. So they, they take up a lot of space and then, and then they just collect them. And then, and I don't know, there's a one store that I know is like, they actually started doing mystery Funkos. Like, so they would wrap them up and then you had no idea what you were getting. Yeah. I'd see, I've seen that before. Some, some stores do that. I, I find that would almost be more fun for me than than just straight up buying the Funko Pops. But, you know, I think uh, not to I, I don't want to sound like I'm poo pooing anyone's you know favorite way to collect because, you know, I mean, that's what it's what it's all about is enjoying these having these things and getting these things and finding these things. Um, yeah, that's what it's about for me. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. Like I have a few that are out of the box. My other half and I decided when Chadwick Boseman passed away, we were going to try and get a Black Panther one. And we ended up just getting like the the gold series. And we were like, oh, darn, we wanted like the regular one. Uh, I'll tell you the, the funniest one I ever bought was I was at a uh, EB Games because it wasn't even GameStop at the time. And I saw a crushed Funko box and it was Marty McFly and the DeLorean. And if that thing was in a good box, that thing is worth a small fortune. Like a 15 or $30 Funko is worth like 200 bucks if you have it like in the box correct. And like, it's just crazy that some of this stuff holds that value but i mean some of the best funkos that i've gotten were from target because the boxes were crushed and i'm not a collector to resell but it's like i got uh luke holding uh, holding baby yoda right for like five five dollars just because the box was destroyed and and i got uh grogu meditating on a rock for like 10 bucks god bless target yeah, yeah tar- targets. <laughs> Did you ever subscribe to the like before we go? I, I got to ask you because this is this is something that both David and I participated in like five or maybe like, yeah, five, six years ago, maybe a little bit longer. But do you remember like subscription boxes like Nerd Block and uh, I can't remember the other one, but you'd get like a Funko, you'd get uh, a little toy and a T-shirt every month. Yeah, I had a few of those kinds of subscriptions over the in the past. Yeah, those ones. I remember there was two Funkos that I got out of them, which were crazy. One was like a clear Bilbo Baggins, which I guess he like the whole thing was he was using the ring. And I got hosed because I didn't know what it was worth and somebody bought it off me. And then I saw what he posted it online for. I was like, you jerk. Oh. Uh, and then David scored the other one because it was like a, a rare Boba Fett that I think sits on one of his shelves. But he's around somewhere. But Eric, I know your time is valuable and we will definitely have you on again. We want to thank you so much for coming onto the show. Um, thank you so much for for having me on the show. I, I really, you know, like I said, I, I love to talk toys and it's something that, you know, I could I could talk about all all day. Well, we, we appreciate you talking. And next time we have you on, we're going to talk a little bit more toys, a little bit more rock band and a little bit more everything else. But for myself and Dave, that Hansel's so hot right now. Oh, <laughs> you mix I it got up you. for me. <laughs> yeah. We want to thank you all for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Scene on Screen podcast.